Welcome to Death Holler, the place of haunted hearts and haunted homes. We welcome you to Death Manor, the home that boasts the most ghosts. Come on in. We've been expecting you. Take a look around. You might see someone that you recognize. Do you hear those voices? That's just the Reverend Dr. Death and La Arena. They're so happy to see you. Sit back and relax. Make yourself at home. Your new home. And remember, when you're in Death Holler, listener discretion is always advised. We hope you enjoy the show. host reverend dr death and joining me as always is uh, la urena and also noah for this episode we are covering the final tur- turn of the screw adaptation that we're going to cover for these episodes and that is going to be the mike flanagan uh netflix special the haunting of bly manor um but before we do that i was just going to say one thing i did watch another movie that kind of feels like these the the turn of the screw type vibes in a way it's called the awakening um it's um i don't even remember the year that it came out i'll have to look it up again but it's set in 1920 uh it's it was set it was actually in 2011 when it came out it's uh set in um uh, 1920s right after the the spanish flu came through uh it follows this uh, lady who's kind of a uh She's she doesn't believe in spirits. She's kind of a critic, you know, or kind of one of those ones that goes around trying to disprove a skeptic, as it were, disprove like all these other mediums who are claiming they can contact spirits. Uh, she's doing it mainly because she wants to find proof of the afterlife to reconnect with someone she's lost that it reveals throughout the movie. But it just so happens she's hired in in this case to go to a boarding school. Uh, for these young boys who have uh, lost their parents or whatever due to the Spanish flu or the war that just went on. And uh, in the process, she actually finds out that there are ghosts and uh, a little bit more about her past that she didn't know about. That's pretty, pretty decent movie. It's got a, it scares her mediocre at best, but I, I like the storyline for it. And it kind of has that gothic uh, vibe that, you know, the, the turn of the screw uh, story has. Was it better uh, than the turning? Uh, yes, by a long <laughs> shot. Uh, the main actress in that is way better than anything that was in the turning, and just like the performances in are really, really good. And actually has uh, a very young version of the kid who would later go on to be Bran in the Game of Thrones series. Oh, so shit. he, yeah. Um, so it's, it, I mean, it, it's got some good acting. The, uh, visuals are well done. Uh, the ghost is, I mean, at times a little, 
sketchy because of the CGI, but he's kind of meant to be because when she's seeing him, his like face is blurred. It's kind of this weird, which kind of fits in actually with Bly Manor to be. Oh yeah, I didn't even think about that because like he he doesn't have a face at times, so um, it kind of fits in with that whole theme of like you know if you're forgotten as a spirit or nobody who knows who you are, you know you, you kind of lose your your own sense of self. Um, so thematically, it ties in pretty well. Uh, have you all saw the movie? Have you saw the one I'm talking about? No, I haven't honestly haven't seen any of these movies until we got into not only discussing Bly Manor, but well, discussing that we're going to discuss Bly Manor, I should say, but finding out about the book. Like, I actually want to read that book, but there's so many fucking movies, so many adaptions of it. Yeah, I'm going to warn you when you go to read that book, though. It's it's written in a very rich 1800 style, and yes. there is the way I want to phrase it is there's words where there shouldn't be words just because they <laughs> added a lot. I mean, we simplified the language so much in like 100 and some years. That, yeah. Like I, there's these big there's a sentence that goes on for half a page because it's comma after comma after comma, you know, like inserting these different like, you know, things. And it's like if we would do it in like, you know, say Stephen King style now, it would literally be, a you know, like a sentence. Why you know, is thou credit my speech when thou speaks of thou's words that come from thou's within? It's not that bad, but it is, you know, it's, it's, it's similar in a sense to that. Yes. It's, it's more like, I mean, they have to add in two or three descriptors for like, I mean, for, for something that, that would, the point would be across if they just uh, stuck with one or maybe not even added it in there, you know? So it's, it, it's different. It's, it's a different style of writing and, and speaking that we have obviously lost over hundred some years. I know, I know that sometimes um, books get redone and they kind of update them a little bit. Maybe this is one that's due for updating if it hasn't been done already. Yeah, it, it depends on the person. Cause I know some people out there go for that rich prose from like, you know, you know, years back, but it, I don't know. It, it's like, there's even a difference between it and like, you know, HP Lovecraft as far as, I mean, and they wouldn't like time wise, there's only about 30 years difference and they were from the same part of the country, but like, you know, HP Lovecraft wrote very modern in the way, I mean, even, you know, there's some lingering stuff, but it, it's very modern. You can stick with it. And this is like more like it's, it's closer to like Poe and like how he wrote some of his stuff. So. Okay. I mean, um, and we've read Edgar Allan Poe when we were younger. We've read stories where the language, I don't know why they, they've taught that in school, because the language was nothing like how we are now. So, I mean, my hubby makes a point. Yeah, it's, 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 it's quite a bit different. It's not nearly as bad as trying to read, you know, original Shakespeare, though. I mean, I don't, I mean, even words have changed meaning since that time period. But Yeah. Um. But anyways, um, just wanting to check and see if you'd seen that movie because I it's thought it was kind of interesting when I was watching. I was like, this actually fits in quite a bit with Bly Manor, and I'm glad we didn't, we haven't, you know, wrapped this up yet, so I can kind of throw it in at the last second. Yeah, so. worth mentioning for sure. Uh, this version of the Turn of the Screw is the Haunting of Bly Manor, uh, which came out in 2020, the same year as the Turning. Uh, and I'm going to throw it out there as a spoiler. It is the superior version from 2020, so don't even attempt the other one. Directed by Mike Flanagan, amongst others. It's actually, this is more collaborative than some of his other stuff has been. 
written by Mike Flanagan, Jamie Flanagan, and a bunch more people, uh, you know, because the different episodes had different co-writers. Uh, and obviously it's based on Henry James' novel. Music is by the Newton Brothers, who also did the music for The Haunting of Hill House. And, that's, and there's very similar musical cues between the two of them. Uh, I mean, I recognized, I mean, there was times when the music would kick in and I'd be like, yeah, that reminds me a lot of Hill House. Yeah, actually, now that you mention it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's the the main piece that they use, like whenever there's like, you know, some kind of major relationship, you know, reveal or something like that. It's definitely one that that you've heard in, uh, in, in Bly, I mean, in uh, Hill House because it's the it's the same score, well, yeah, which isn't bad because I mean it puts them together thematically a little bit. No, absolutely, and it's effective. It's very effective. That's why you don't really care. You're not like, wait a second, isn't this from? It works. So, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 very it, it it adds to the emotional impact of the scene. So it, it's a it's good uh, addition. Principal players in this one is Victoria. Pedretti, uh, Pedretti, who plays Danny Clayton, uh, which is funny because I, I almost guarantee they took that name Clayton from the guy who who was the director of The Innocence. I mean, that was, you know, Jack Clayton who directed that. Has to be a callback to him uh, because obviously in the original story, the governess didn't have a name. So they, you know, these different editions have called her different things. Um, and Victoria Pedretti's character, Danny, is an, is an American uh, amongst, uh, you know, a bunch of European characters in the story. She is the au pair, or the, the kind of the nanny for the two children, and uh, she ends up paying the ultimate sacrifice at the end in order to save the children, which is kind of a twist on the story, considering how it originally ended. Yeah. <laughs> Amelia Eve plays Jamie Taylor, who's the groundskeeper. Uh, she ends up loving plants more than people, and eventually, throughout the course of the show, she becomes Danny's lover. We have uh, Amelia B. Smith playing Flora Wingrave, uh, Danny's charge, orphan. She's sweet yet spacey, and there's a reason for that when we go to discuss it, and uh, she sees dead people. Shocker. <laughs> Shocker. Benjamin Evan Ainsworth, who plays Miles Wingrave, is the young gentleman of Bly, seems to have behavioral problems and uh is actually possessed by a dead person and spoiler alert thank god he's possessed because some of the things they have him doing in this show not appropriate uh they're it's still very tame versus what they had the original actor doing in the innocence sadly (laughs) Yeah, yeah that's true okay uh, Tanaya Miller plays Hannah Rose, the housekeeper slash manager of Bly. Uh, she's actually caught in time, uh, kind of like Bruce Willis. She doesn't know that she's dead. She know. just she just Shocker needs that little that. extra push, like the one she got <laughs> to become dead. But thank you, everybody. Good night. Uh, Rahul Coley plays. Uh, Owen, uh, he is a cook, aspires to be a chef, and uh, his mother has dementia, and he and it's revealed through the course of the show that he's actually in love with Hannah, which that has a sad twist whenever yeah. he finds out what actually happened. Um, really like this guy, by the way. He was not a big part of this show, but I really liked his character. He's been in... Uh, he is a very good actor. He's been in this and Midnight Mass, and the character he plays in Midnight Mass from Flanagan, he, it's perfect. I love it, character in that one. 
Uh, real uh, quick, since I have both of you here, and you have both seen Midnight Mass, and I still have not, what season does Midnight Mass go in? Of Death what Holler. Does what? What season of Death what Holler? What season? Yeah. That that that's the the spoiler for the show. Do you oh, want, okay. Do you no. Want me to tell you. No. No. But no. is it an upcoming season? <laughs> if you if you're gonna do series, uh, no series would be awesome to cover too. It's probably one of my favorites. Is uh from. I don't know if you guys seen it at all. Is that the one I was watching with you? Where they're in that weird town and yes. they kind of go in circles trying to get somewhere, but they end up it was, basically like a purgatory of sorts. They're trying to hide. Okay. Night. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's, I told him about that. That's a. Okay. But moving forward, though, it's a is for. It's not one that we have covered. Okay. I sweet. Will say that. Okay. Good. That's all I want to know. And yeah. All right. We'll sweet. leave it at that. Yeah, because I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> yeah, for you to. I mean, that's the thing. The way the show's set up it, to tell you what season it falls in automatically spoils part of it because that's that's the reveal like that hits about three episodes in or something. Okay. I think. Okay. Uh, we have uh, Oliver Jackson Cohen, who plays Peter Quint. Uh, he's Henry's business associate, Rebecca Jessel's lover, and the spirit possessing Miles. Um, very good actor in this. He was also in Hill House. Uh, he played the twin to uh, Victoria Pedretti's character in that one. So they, this second time they're working closely together. Um, and I don't know. I don't know how you feel about him. Like, it, he... he the, in every version of this, Peter Quint's painted to be a bad guy, but I mean, like they they give enough of the backstory behind him that you almost feel sympathy for him in this. Uh, yeah, that's that's how I felt. I mean, in almost every one, because <clears throat> to put it lightly, without spoiling too much, well, it's going to spoil it. When you're that passionate about something in life, in death, it becomes worse. So yeah. It, yeah, and he's—I mean—he's totally caught up in in Jessel, and it's like, like he can't—he uh, can't let that go. And but he's also—I mean, it, the the stuff that's the worst for him is like in his own purgatory. When we get to that episode, and it's showing like how they're they're living in their own like little memory bubble that keeps repeating. Like the interaction he has with his mom is just awful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tahira Sharif plays Rebecca Jessel. Uh, she's the Wingrave Children's original au pair, aspiring barrister or lawyer, and uh, Quint's lover. And she ends up being the spirit that's possessing Flora. So they're they're it goes along with the original intent of the turn of the screw. Well, or at least the assumed intent, and in that one child is being you know possessed by the female spirit, and the other by the male spirit, and then the governess is the one that kind of has to deal with all that. <laughs> what a job! Yeah, <laughs> or she's imagining all of it, and you know, so that that's kind of the twist of the original uh, uh. story. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we have Henry Thomas playing Henry Wingrave. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he cucked his brother. Oh. Pretty bad. <laughs> it's like, how about you go handle some business in Russia? I'm just gonna bang your wife and and have you raise my kid as and act like it's my niece. So no, no big deal. Yeah, that that was fucking um, crazy. Uh, he is the father to Flora. He was banished from Bly Manor. It's the reason he does not. In this version, they give him reason for just peacing out and leaving yeah. kids. I, I, I like that because in all the other versions, he's just kind of an ass. 
I mean, it's just like, yeah, I, I kind of like living the bachelor life and don't really want to deal with these children that were kind of dumped on me because my, you know, relatives died. So uh, I'm just fucking off and you, you can deal with it. And this one, he's like, he's got emotional reasons because he promised his brother that he wouldn't come back. And then he kind of feels bound by that promise that he yeah. made before he died. Uh, and then they reveal he's haunted by himself. And that's a whole weird thing we'll talk about when we talk about that episode or that particular episode of the show. But yeah, we're going to have to discuss that for sure. <laughs> uh, Robbie Atal plays Edmund O'Hara, uh, Danny's ex fiance, uh, represent and a representation of her guilt. Oh, I um, loved it. I loved it. I love the design for that. Yes. I mean, just the, the only thing you can see is the glasses and yeah. them shining the light that you re realize later is actually the headlights of the, the vehicle that killed him. Yeah. And it was so scary. The, the thing that only got me, though, is that it was scary until it wasn't. And then it was yeah, like, the... oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they played it well enough. It's like, I mean, they always say in horror that things are scary until you become familiar with them. Yeah. And then it's kind of like with him because you don't know what's going on. And then whenever they have the episode showing, like, his relationship with Danny, then then him popping up is not necessarily uh, horrifying anymore. And it's kind of at the point in the show, too, where she's almost moving on from him. You know, yes, so. or she's trying to anyways. But trying when you're to, being haunted, yeah, we'll, ha we'll get into that, so... Yeah, Carla Gugino plays the narrator, the lady who is telling us the story uh, and the bookend pieces that fit better with actually how the novel starts out, even if it doesn't end that way. Uh, and she is secretly an older version of Jamie. Ah, uh, yes. Everything's all said and revealed. Uh, <laughs> biggest thing I have about her, the nitpick, is that her accent doesn't match young Jamie's accent. And a lot of people on the internet have the same opinion about that, that if they wanted to go, I mean, I know that like you can twist things when you're telling a story to kind of keep people off of your, you know, like if you're trying to represent things that are real, but you don't want them to be, so you, you change things. But if they're going to have the actress have, you know, more of an Irish, you know, accent and, as you're younger, I don't like the British accent that they gave like older Jamie. Yeah, yeah, uh, I didn't notice it, but that's because I was watching with intent to get to what I needed to know about the show, so. It's just, it was the second time I watched it, I knew, well, actually, it's probably about the third time, to be honest, but I've watched, the first time I watched it was in bits and pieces, this was the first time yes. all the way through, straight, and it's just, I knew what character she was, and just, like, listening to her speak, it's just like. You're like, that ain't right. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's very different versus the the younger version. But I am glad that they used her in this show for what very little bit they used her and still an important role considering the literature. But like cuz I loved her so much in um Haunting of Hill House. Yeah, she I just was loved her one character. of the better parts of that. So it was I'm not going to lie, it was nice seeing her familiar face kind of cuz she she wasn't as they made they made her up to be a little bit older in this. So but still, it was good to see yeah. her. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It, it kind of and it helped you it eased you into the story because if you were you already had watched the previous one. Yeah. And then we have uh, rounding out the cast, uh, which there's way more than this, but I mean, the, the main actors and actresses, Kate Siegel, Woo! obviously going to be in the movie. Hot mama. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, if we're going to, in the Munsters, you know, uh, review, if we're going to bring up the fact that Sherry Mood Zombie's going to be in everything, Kate Siegel's going to be in everything from from her director husband, but better quality actress. Hey, you know. but hasn't there been times where she actually, turn your phone down, please. Hasn't there been times where she's actually, like, turned down a role herself where she's like, I'm not the right fit, or maybe he, I thought there was. I, I don't know that we discussed that or if I read that somewhere. <laughs> She has. There's been times whenever she was offered a bigger part in the series, I think maybe even this one, mm-hmm. and she has told her husband, no, I don't feel like I'm a good fit for that, but what about this character? And she's like intentionally went with a smaller role because she felt like she could embody the character better than what the original, you know, even though she had her complete pick, yeah. you know, she went with the like the, the smaller role just because she felt like it, it fit her better. And I have to agree with her on this one. She fit this role really well but to be on the opposite end of maybe she's being she's picking her roles meaning she wanted this role it is probably the scariest one of the film or the excuse me it's the <laughs> it to me it's the most it's, important of them it's well it is when we get to the uh, trivia for sure i mean it's the role that started the entire series because yeah. uh, the rest of the stories were based on viola she plays viola, viola lloyd but i mean every other character exists in the story thematically because, because she is yeah. the gravity that keeps them bound yes so it could be her being like, no, I, I need a smaller role because I'm just not good enough for it. Or it could be like, no, I'm better than the shit. I want to be the main. <laughs> I want to be the head bitch in charge. So I don't yeah, know. It's hard she, to say in this one. But in the past, I've heard she has done that with her husband. And I think there's something respectful about that to where they can tell each other, I'm not right for this role or you're not right for this role. She's not only done that, but she's helped him write parts like yes. the that hush movie that they came out with which is a slasher that we you know will probably bring up next season or it's a human horror it's kind of in between it could be either one but regardless it's like in that movie uh whenever he was making the part up she actually came in and gave him advice and said listen from a female perspective that character is doing too much you yeah. need to scale back what she can do physically but then like you know maybe add this in this is something a woman would think about and like that movie is way better because of it yeah so their their collaboration is a little bit different uh it's not just a ex supermodel coming in and being a, a pretty face <laughs> for a movie i hate to say it i mean sherry moon zombie has acting she 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 has built up acting chops for sure you can't not learn something but for some reason it just comes it seems to come more naturally for katie or kate yeah she's she's a much stronger actress and and she actually has writing talent it seems yeah i mean and you know and and some behind the work or behind the camera uh, knowledge too that that helps her husband you know and and what he's doing and uh, she plays the Lady in the Lake, the mistress of Bly Manor, uh, like we said, the spiritual gravity well that's holding everybody <laughs> to Bly Manor. And uh, she uh, ends up being the deadliest ghost of Bly for sure. I mean, uh, she's got a kill count that's way up there. <laughs> <laughs> and she is the sadly the possessor of Danny, and that that's when we get to that part. That is yes. one of the most tragic things about the series, but um uh, yes uh so the smaller role everybody just remember that okay 
<laughs> she was to to her honest. I mean, to give her def- in her defense, she was in two episodes, and only and and one of those episodes only had her like in the very end of it. So she. She was only in like one scene at the very end of one episode and in the entire next episode. She wasn't in the majority of the show. It just so happens she's the the main focus of the show. When I think of Blind Manor, I think of her. Okay. I think everybody does because (laughs) it's hard to ignore that episode. Oh, my God. Okay. Let's get into it. So the synopsis, more like the novel and that the story is being related to others over the course of a holiday slash celebration, this version of Turn of the Screw works in other stories from Henry James and takes a definitive turn toward the supernatural. See, I'll say that the turn, you know, turn of the screw. Anyways, next are snapped. Time is lost as the living are shoved back into their own memories. The dead are caught in a purgatory of their past and present. And the ultimate tragedy is forgetting the faces of lost loved ones. Um, so let's just get right. Well, not book of the dead Coco actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that's, uh, kind of how that, that whole movie set up too. Yeah. Forgetting your, your loved ones and they, they kind of like wither away in the afterlife because of it. Uh, let's see. So the story, let's see the different episodes. I'm trying to think of the, I've got the names of a lot of the episodes here, but I'm trying to figure out which one was like the, the very first one. I think the great good house is like the very first one the name of it i did not pay um, attention to the names of the episodes but they had names <laughs> and they related well i've got i've got a lot of them because they've got different themes from different james novels but yes. i think the great good house is the name of one of them and that's actually a name of one of his stories i don't yes. think i don't know that it ties in exactly to that it's just what they call blind man itself um i didn't feel like the intro episode was necessarily the best Mm -hmm. it's never been the entire time i've watched this this season or you know all the way through it 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 introduces people well enough i mean don't get me wrong and i like that you know how it starts out with the 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 turning you know bookend like it does but i don't but i don't necessarily like that first episode is something i need to get through as like a setup before i actually start enjoying the show i don't how do you all feel about it uh, 100%. And the hubby has seen the first, I don't know if he's seen the first and two with me, but the first episode, I was not drawn in at all. I was like, fuck. Cause <laughs> look, we had just come off the high of Hill House. Okay. So that was a, a pretty big contrast of the two. It was like, you went from holy shit to holy shit. <laughs> like, ah. Uh. I, I seen 15 minutes of it. Oh, you only seen the first. Okay, so Hubby's out on this episode. That's why I haven't talked. <laughs> He's on the interwebs dicking around right now. Okay. Yeah, it's it's just kind of a setup episode. You're kind of getting, I mean, there, there's a few scares in it. I mean, you, you see the, uh, you know, the introduction of Edmund. I yes. mean, and like, you know, da- with Danny. So, but you don't know what's going on with him. Um the kids are acting really weird like they do in every version of Turn of the Screw. And, of course, it sets up the thing that Miles is back from school. Nobody knows why he's back. He's done something that was related in disciplinary action that got him expelled. And it just and, – and then, of course – the, I do like the beginning of it in the in one part of it before they get to Bly Manor. It's got more of an extended scene between um, Danny and uh, with uh, Wingrave, um, uh, Henry Thomas's character, in the sense that like they have the very awkward like job interview with one another. Like oh, he's yeah. you know he's trying to 
trying to tell her that there's been weird circumstances at the place prior to her being hired, but without telling her that. And like, she's trying to tell him that she's got some fucked up shit going on with herself, <laughs> but not really saying that either because both of them knows that that's like a, you know, a killer for the, the interview. And then they kind of like separate and it's like, well, you know, it's, it's not going to happen because this you're not a good fit. And then they meet again in a bar later. And that's whenever they actually reveal stuff to each other and they realize, okay, there's enough here that I think you might work, you know, and then yeah. it, it sets up the fact that the show's set in the eighties, which is uh, one of uh, Flanagan's big things, because he says that if you set a show in a time period with a cell phone, you're pretty much killing the horror element of it because it's hard to have any kind of horror with a cell phone present. Yeah, absolutely. There's just too many ways out of it. I do want to point out that I can't, I'm, having a hard time convincing myself of this, but I feel like, okay, I understand the importance of a setup episode. You need, you need to set up the story. And I'm having a hard time of, did Flanagan intentionally make this less suspenseful? Meaning there there wasn't hardly any suspense. I know. Yes. We got to see what, what's fucking Danny up in the head. Obviously we, we get a little bit of that. But did he kind of make this a super light episode so you kind of relax, like, okay, this isn't going to be as bad, you know? I didn't hear him directly say that. In my personal opinion, this is my personal view, I think he was written into a corner on this one, him and the people with him. They started with Viola. That's what they based the entire show on on and they worked outward from it and so the farther they got out the obviously the less suspenseful less tied into that theme it was and so the very first episode is the least tied to any of that and they just kind of had like well we've got to get it started we've got to get them into this so we'll you know throw in that bookend about how there's somebody telling a ghost story you know about Bly Manor and then we'll introduce how they get to Bly Manor and but I don't think they didn't really, it, it's like they didn't have the option like they did with Hill House. Hill House had that great opening where you saw like people running out of the house and, and shit going down and then yeah. it worked its way backward from that. They didn't have that with this because mm-hmm. Viola was the thing that they were basing everything on, but they couldn't reveal Viola until the very end because of how the, the timeline okay. you know, worked or whatever. So that's a better way that I could see. So it was like the opposite. So, and I could see Mike Flanagan doing that because, again, like I said, I kind of got the impression this is going to be a lot more chill, but then the suspense does start building up. Mm, uh, Third episode-ish. I mean, it's there, but yeah. In a weird way. It's almost like, I mean, you know, scientifically, like, you know, black holes, like the the biggest like gravity well there is, it just pulls everything into it. The closer you get to Viola's episode, the more shit starts happening. Oh, in the yeah. Show. It's really weird that way. It's like the gravity gets stronger the, the closer you get to Viola, which is what the thematically, you know, the right way to go about it. So, I mean, that's probably what it was. Um, but that's really the only thing that stood out to me from the first episode was I, I liked that interaction because it was different between, you know, Henry Thomas's version of, you know, the, the, you know, the head of Bly Manor or the one who owned it and the governess, like it was the, a very awkward conversation followed up with one that was a little bit, you know, you know, they were getting to know each other and it, 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 it said a lot about the characters without really giving too much away about them. Yeah, it was, it was more real and you wanted that. You didn't want to give away too much because we find out. And when we find out, it's fucked up. So, 
the second episode is called The Pupil. And that one is actually based, there's a, there's a story called that. And, and the thematic Henry, the, the, the theme of the, of the story from Henry James called the pupil is that a young man from a bad home befriends his tutor. And I feel like that actually fits in with how they did the episode because it gives the backstory for miles in this episode. Yes. Why, what happened to him to cause him to come back to Bly Manor, which has not been in anything of turn of the screw related that I'm aware of. Like they don't really reveal like what happened to miles. It's just assumed that he, you know, he done something really bad was a, you know, that was unbecoming of someone of his stature. And then they, he had to come home. Whereas in this one, it kind of shows that like he had a very close connection with one of his teachers there who was actually becoming more of a father figure to him, but he had to leave because we, we it kind of reveals later. He's, he's got a lot of, I mean, he carried, uh, I think some of the baggage, if not actual Peter Quint himself in yeah. spirit to the, uh, to the boarding school and Peter Quint needed to get back to Jessel. So he did what he had to do to uh, make it, you know, miles get expelled basically. Yeah. And it's hard to kind of place because you don't know is miles doing this because he feels he needs to get back to his sister to protect her or is he doing this because he's being possessed and the possessed person wants to get back to his, Lover, Jessel. And it I think it reveals later in the episodes with Jessel and Quint that Quint says something to him that, yes, I'm sorry, but you had to do that at school because we had to come back here. So it, it's yeah. stated later on. But in this one, you're right. It's kind of left up. It's mm-hmm. like it's 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 almost like Miles is, is I mean, it leaves it. It makes it ambigu- ambiguous to where it's like it could have been him. Well, know? the big thing about the story in general, not so much Bly Manor. Bly Manor did it in a different manner, if you will. <laughs> um, but <laughs> Miles is, a, a te- he's eventually the man of the or supposed to be the man of the house, technically, because the uncle's not there, a.k.a. the dad. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, so in other stories, even though Miles is just a child, he even if he's an older child, he's still a child, but he's still the quotation mark man of the house. And there's a lot of respect and a lot of uh, deference give to, you know, him because of that. And most of the other stories, it's like, well, we can't really say much to him because he is the one that's going to be in charge of Bly Manor, you know, yeah. whenever he gets of age. Pretty much. For better or worse. Um, I felt like this episode was okay. It, I mean, it's it's better upon a rewatch because it gives you a little bit more insight into the character, especially if you've watched other versions of Turn of the Screw. It's interesting to see Flanagan's like interpretation of what you know actually got Miles kicked out of school. But I don't really feel like the episode. It's another one of those episodes that's kind of like treading water until we really get into the bulk of the you know the story about the ghost yes. in this version. Well, we do get some things in this episode that will help you. Every episode is a buildup to, you're going to understand this when we get to that point. Um, I want to say this was the episode where we kind of first seen Miles being a little perv. Yeah. A little pervy perv. Yeah, so we get the introduction to Mr. Little Perv himself, because Miles in almost every episode is a fucking perv. Every time. (laughs) It's it's creepy as fuck. Uh, We also get this um, where they throw, it's not explained at all for a while, but Danny gets thrown into a closet. Where she sees the ghost, she sees a ghost, we still don't know the full story yet, and she's fucking terrorized. And they're like, why the fuck did you do that? But it was never explained. 
And she didn't even push for any kind of explanation. She didn't tell anybody either. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's not explained. I don't even know if they explained it by the end of it. The only thing that I can think of, uh, the, the children, it is ultimately revealed that the children have been looking out for Danny in the sense they keep trying to keep her away. Uh, they keep telling her, don't be away, don't be up at night and all mm-hmm. that. And all the stuff that they're trying to tell her is to keep her away from Viola. Yes, like, and that's why they, they, that's why they, they threw her in the closet. They were protecting her from yeah, Viola. Yeah, to keep her. Yeah. So I mean, but you you don't realize that till later on. It's like that that they're that the kids really are looking out for her, even if they. I mean, you know, they're not trying to be you know mean or you know anything like that. It's because they know that uh, they saw Quint uh, get killed by Viola, and they and they they already knew about her to begin with because she's been visiting the house since you know her time, and so that's something that they've had to live with since you know they were very small children, which is crazy to think about. Um, I just, I don't know. It's, um, uh, it's, it's one of those things where you, you're just like, why are these kids being such assholes? But then yeah. like, later on, it's like, oh, okay. They had, her. they had good intent. Is it to be understood so that the listeners know that you're safe if you're in your room and in your bed? Because she wasn't yeah, in her bed. She was just in a closet, to be honest. But if you were in the halls, I think that's where you were not safe. Or was there certain rooms? Cause I thought she got Quint in a room. No, she got him in the hallway okay. because he was standing there. He was getting ready. He had just had a fight with Jessel. Yeah, okay. He had left or or he had been interrupted. It's I, that's I'm kind of forget every time whether or not like Gross saw him and like but anyways, like he was in the hallway after he had just told, you know, Jessel that they had that he had the money. He was going to, you know, make sure that they could go to America that she could do what she needed to do to become the barrister that she wanted. And then while he was like, I think he was distracted by Hannah at that point, and he looked toward her, and she was like asking what he was doing, and all of a sudden, out of the corner of his eye, something moves, and then he's grabbed by Viola, and then she snaps his neck like almost immediately. Wow. So, um, yeah. And then the thing that that throws me though on the whole Viola thing is she's been coming there all this time. She's obviously had run-ins with people. I, why did she never have a run-in with uh, the, the children's parents? That's the one thing that threw me because I thought that was their room that she oh, kept going yeah. into. Yeah. Oh my God. I hadn't, I'm, I had not thought about that until now. They had a tragic accident outside of the home. Yeah. They just like in the story, they were killed or they, they died. And I mean, it was an auto, automobile accident. And like, I think the original version and they, in the innocence as well, but um, they, they died in like France or something, like completely yeah. you know, another you know part of the world, and so I don't understand. Like it seems like they would have ran into her spirit at some point, like the parents would have. Don't you can't bring shit up like that. That's not explained. <laughs> <laughs> well, how long did That's they live thing. in the house? Was this something? Is this one of those homes that was um, passed down to them? It's, I mean, it's assumed that it was or whatever, because, I mean, I think it's been in Black, you know, the Black Manor has been in the possession of that family for for quite a while, and it didn't show, like, them moving into it, so I feel like it was passed down to them. Like, it was maybe, uh, you know, like, because Henry gets, like, you know, through 
just blood relations. I mean, he gets at, you know, the manor itself, but then I feel like it was like, you know, they, they got it from like their parents or something like that. And his brother was the older of the two. I, I thought maybe I was, I'm wrong on that. Um, but you know, and then it like, you know, so it passed down to his brother and then, then to him. Okay. So that could technically by technicality, it could be that they knew something, and that was just a, a, a rule of the house. Is you, after midnight, you fucking you stay in your room. You don't go in the hallways. That that could be they they could and they could have passed that down to their children. That's why they knew better. It's like you don't you you don't get out of your room past a certain time because, you know they they didn't have to say it. You know she would walk the halls. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a tragic Lyanna story. That's what we would do to keep our kids in bed. You know. <laughs> Okay, it, it's real in this story. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, but as far as that episode, the pupil just you know summing it up. It, it it's it's good in certain ways, but it's still another setup episode that really doesn't have a whole lot to it. Other than the fact you do get a few more scares from the Edmund ghost, or well, if it is a ghost, some people theorize that's ma- mainly Danny's guilt more yeah. than his actual spirit she's seeing. It yeah, it absolutely could be her conscience. Just be like. You're the reason and, and, he's dead. And that could be the tie into the original turn of the screw in the sense that, yes, Peter Quint and yes, Jessel are actual full-on realized ghosts in this version, but the other spirit that, that Danny keeps seeing or the governess keeps seeing is actually in her head, you know, and that's the thematic tie yeah. in, in this one, you know. Hard to say. Fuck. Uh, the third episode is the two faces part one. And that's where we get like the very first uh, reveal about the, the tragic past between Peter Quint and Miss Jessel, uh, you know, kind of reveals like how they, you know, they fell in love, uh, you know, how they met, you know, he was, he was there when she was interviewed and they, and then they, you know, he uh, sees, you know, I don't know, like she shows him affection where he, I guess is it's, it's hard one for him, you know, like he's, had to work his way up to, you know, from basically nothing if you when you go farther into his past because his parents are just kind of like scumbags on drugs, that sort of thing. I mean, they're, they're, they've used their son, you know, about as much as they've used anybody. So, and, I mean, um, straight up, like, Quint and Jessel are star-crossed lovers. It's set up, like, immediately. <laughs> People don't like him. They don't like their relationship together. Yeah, and it's because she's uh, like a fine, upstanding lady. He's more like this, uh, you know, like uh, he's kind of like a thuggish character from a bad background, uh, you know, poor background. And and thematically, that fits to what the name of the, the, these episodes are, The Two Faces. It was a Henry James novel, not about ghosts or anything, but it's about two socially unacceptable lovers. They were like from two different parts of, you know, class parts or different classes in society. And it wasn't like looked upon favorably in Victorian times for the two to, to have been in love. And oh, so yeah. that's, so I mean, that's why they called it The Two Faces. He was going for way above his station, for sure. Yeah. And, um, and of course, like the, you know, everybody loved, you know, Rebecca because she was, you know, good with the kids, very smart, outgoing. He's kind of like quiet and, you know, kind of, I mean, there, there's something dark about him, you know, even whenever he's like, you know, or, you know, joking around with miles, he's kind of like introducing like bad habits to miles, like shows him the lighter and, you know, some other things. And, uh, it's, and, 
it just it's it goes back to that gothic you know uh, vibe or whatever about these people who are having this illicit you know love affair that shouldn't be with one another at whatsoever yeah also she's in a job that's actually way below her station so that says a lot about i mean it kind of opens up to their romance where she wasn't she wasn't highfalutin she didn't just because she was the status she was she was a different person where she was just like, well, I'm not just because I'm here. doesn't mean I'm too good for this or too good for him or blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, they, they were in close enough proximity. They were, I mean, their jobs, you know, were close enough. They were close enough in age, just all the things matched up otherwise. And she might even been attracted to the fact that he was like, you know, kind of had that bad boy thing about him or whatever. So, uh, that happens quite a bit. Typical. <laughs> uh, if but I can't remember on this episode. You'll have to remind me. Is this the one where they reveal? Or I don't think they reveal that they're in a time loop in this episode, right? It I just think it was part shows, two. Yeah, part two shows the time loop that they're stuck in. So in this one, it's more it like kind of shows them uh, chronologically how they met, but it's like in between, like showing like the modern, uh, uh, you know, because at this point, I believe Danny has saw. Peter Quint mm-hmm. and like, you know, and in this version, she's, she's not been like seen a picture of him. She's not like, it's not like she sees him. I mean, she actually sees him fully formed way before, like anybody ever tells her about him in this. So it, yeah. it, this one, there's no amb- ambiguity. This is a ghost that she's seen. Um, yes. And, and in, in its entirety, he just looks like a person. She's like, who is this person sternly looking at me from random corners, not noticing the plague doctor every fucking turn every corner of every house in every scene when did this come out 2020 uh yeah my plague doctor costume was on point and i had not even seen bly manor yet well i don't think that uh the 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 covid was out there enough to uh have been in you know a thing that they would have because they had prepared for this you got to imagine in like 2018 2019 like leading up to this so the fact that the plague doctor was worked into that i mean just kind of a creepy thing in a roundabout way absolutely (laughs) and i was wondering about that too because i'm like i know that this wasn't made during the covid's but the fact that they had a plague doctor in and it just so happened to come to you know formation there that's insane. Um, yeah, it really is. Uh, but they also, if I remember right in this, I mean, it, it, this is the point where Hannah and like, you know, uh, and, uh, the, the, the cook character, uh, you know, Owen and, uh, e- even, uh, and, and she's also at this point getting Jamie or whatever. She's been introduced to Jamie a little bit there. And when she's talking to the other adults and she mentioned, she's seen Peter Quint, they recognize who she's talking about and they, they don't recognize it as being, you know, anything more than like he's could be stalking the property because they don't know that he died. Oh yeah. Um, I forgot about that because I was wondering why they were so nonchalant about, Oh, Peter Quint. I mean, it wasn't nonchalant, but it was just like, Oh, Peter Quint, you know? They they know that Jessel died uh, and tragically uh, because Flora found her her body. Well, it didn't really find her. She actually followed her, but they think that she found her body. Yeah. Uh, but when it's revealed in the Two Faces Part Two, but in this one, uh, Peter Quint, all they know is that the money disappeared from um, uh, Wingrave's account, and that you know, and then um, 
and Peter Quint disappeared. So they think that he's absconded with the money and like ran off. And then whenever she says that, they're like, oh, we've got to call the police because he's back, you know? So they're, they're thinking they've got like a physical human threat yeah. from this guy who ran off and has come back to kind of terrorize them. I wonder why, why did he, was it an accident? I, I can't remember. I, was it an accident that Danny saw him? Why is he allowing her to see him? And no one else has seen him. They've never revealed it, but I think that Danny, and and that's another thing about the ambiguity, like she could really be seeing the ghost of Edmund. Yeah. And maybe her being, or or it's either her near-death experience because she was right beside, you know, Edmund when he he died. Either because of her close proximity to him, her loss, or the fact that he, he could be really a ghost. She's already attuned to seeing that stuff, so she is seeing the ghost when nobody else can because of her own tragic yeah, past. That's what I took from the show. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. That's why I asked you, because I'm like, there has to be some explanation. She did have enough tragedy in her life to open herself up to mm, being sensitive to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Ooh, fucking uh, shit. The, the, the funny thing is, though, is that I do believe that that Quint is showing himself to a certain degree because Jessel never appears to her until the the very last you know part of the show. So even yeah. though she's able to see Quint, she can't see Jessel for most of this. Yeah, and Jessel was Je- clearly trying to be more careful as it's kind yeah, of she- revealed. Yeah, and and it's also uh, Jessel is probably doing more possessing than actual Peter Quint is because (laughs) because the times that Flora acts like spacey and weird are all times when she's being possessed by Jessel. It's revealed later on, and she acts really spacey and weird a lot in this show. So a lot more than Miles acts creepy and you know like you know kind of a pervert. Well, you can also see when Flora. You can also see when Flora can see Jessel as well. In, in, yeah, not so much Spacey, so, yeah. But it's yeah, sad she's always when looking she's like... And, and behind. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, well, we got to bring it up. That dollhouse was creepy as fuck. Oh, fuck. Because like, when you're looking through it, there are people in the dollhouse that are not in the house, but mm-hmm. everybody else in the house is in their right positions. Yes, and uh, the dolls that need to stay in certain areas outside of the dollhouse like the one that goes under the dresser no it stays there (laughs) like what excuse me i'm getting the fuck out of here and you know what's funny when i brought up the awakening there is a dollhouse in that and it's used in the same exact way because uh when the the main character the main actress is looking in the dollhouse she's seeing figures little dolls that are made up to look like the people who are currently in the school which was formerly a house too and uh, she happened. One of the, be- the the best creep scenes, creepy scenes in the movie, is that she's looking at it and she sees a version of her in the in the uh, in looking at a, ver- a smaller version of the dollhouse, and then there's somebody standing behind her, another doll behind her. So like while she's while she's looking at a doll that's looking at, at another dollhouse in the dollhouse, and there's you know she that's sees it all standing behind that you know. So it's like you know kind of this incepted type thing. And I thought that was kind of weird that that tied in with Bly Manor quite a bit. Yes. Um, it's going to be a no for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't. And look at My child asked her dad for a haunted dollhouse, and he built her one. 
totally acceptable because I know that's intended to look creepy. But when reg- a, a regular dollhouse is creepy without any intention, uh-uh, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I need to know what I'm getting into. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Dolls are really scary, too, in the sense that, I mean, there's all this lore about the fact they become receptacles for other spirits. So it's like one of those things that, you know, even if they don't start out like that, I mean, if you give them the the frame of mind and and the presence, you know, it's like you keep putting all this emphasis like, oh, it's real. It's a real doll. It really speaks to me. Then something can use that, you know, that thought process, that manifestation to actually come through and inhabit the, the the doll itself which is funny because in real in real life that's not real life that's not a real thing but no if you think about a child and how they think and why children allegedly are more receptive and easily possessed than the majority is that they think it's the doll talking when in reality it could just be a spirit or a demon standing next to it pretending you know oh my god speaking of demons one just walked in the room you want to see what's going <laughs> on babe the boy just walked in. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Why? Why does this happen? <laughs> Anyways, so it's, like I said, just probably standing next to the doll, whatever, saying, oh, can I come in? And you, the answer is always no, by the way. <laughs> they cannot yeah. come in. And I think it's... I don't know that that whole thing where kids have like imaginary friends too becomes creepy Ugh. because are they really imaginary? Are they really seeing something? It's like, you know, <laughs> did you ever want an imaginary you, friend when you were younger? Uh, uh, no, I never, I never had one because I had a sister. That was enough of a oh. for me not to have to worry about it. Yeah. So. See, I was an only <laughs> child and I wanted an imaginary friend so bad. Uh, did not have one by the way. And, uh, Thank you. <laughs> I'm so glad I did not have an imaginary friend. Um, well, that, that's, a, I mean, going back to the show, that's all I wanted to cover on the two faces part one. Is there anything that you want to say about that before we moved on to the next episode of, of the show? No. Okay. The next episode is called the way it came. <laughs> and, um, this is the, one of the best episodes of the show. Um, uh, I, actually it's uh yeah it's this one that i'm thinking of because i don't know what it is mike flanagan does a amazing job with funerals in these shows oh, like God. they are some of the best episodes of any of his shows because there there's so much uh, dialogue and drama built into them that actually gives like it has a lot of heart and you know uh, uh just emotion tied emotion into it. yes i was just gonna say emotion is the big one and this is definitely, this is right up there with the whole, you know, like the family coming together and having their, you know, finally having their outs or whatever at the funeral and uh, of their sister, you know, their youngest uh, sister and in uh, the haunting of uh, Hill House. This one's the same way where it's like you finally get to know what happened to Danny, um, like why she, you know, it keeps seeing Edmund. And then also you have that great scene where, you know, uh, Owen has been told about his mom's passing and then they have like the camp or the, the scene around the bonfire later at night. And he's like talking about the, the memory of his mom, like what they wouldn't say about her and what should have been said. And just like, I mean, it, it's, it doesn't necessarily add to the, the, the ghost story per se, but it's just such good acting and such good writing that I, 
I love it. I mean, I love every bit about it. Uh, I have to agree, uh, but I can't, <laughs> I still can't stress enough the emotion in the entire episode, not just, you know, the funeral. We're talking about when she's having a, a, a conversation with Edmund while he's alive, uh, explaining what's going on. You could watch this with no volume and kind of understand what's going on. Oh, yeah. That's one thing about Victoria in particular. She is such a good, like, uh, uh, a face for, like, emoting that, like, she just sells the scene without even having to say anything. Yeah. she It's it's in her face and her, her body, just how she puts it out there. Um, so I want to say something, too, about this is we kind of find out. I think Mike Flanagan has a way of kind of bringing what you would consider woke situations into his show without making it seem like it's just woke and it has to be there. It's natural. And these are real things that have actually happened all the way back since the beginning of time where Danny, Danny's, Danny's not straight. She, she has feeling towards women and she does not understand why. She doesn't understand. It's a, that's another good reason they said it in the 80s. I mean, another reason why it's good they said it in the 80s. It was a time where it wasn't acceptable. A lot of people didn't, it, you know, put it out there as like a normal thing. So, like, it was she had these feelings, but she nobody else did that she was aware of. So, it was like she felt weird for having them. Yeah, and it was also, I mean, we're still in the time where it's, it's considered wrong to have these kind of feelings. And she really does love Edmund. She does. She loves him. All the bit, just not the way that, you know, a it's, husband and wife are going to love not, each other. Yeah, it's not like a physical love. It's more of like a brotherly oh, love, yeah. a very deep brotherly love. And she can't reconcile that. Like, she she knows what she's been told love is. And she feels that to a degree with Edmund, but not, but the physical doesn't match up. No, it doesn't. And now, uh, such a good, <laughs> such a good and tragic story. But he has loved her since they were kids in school. I mean, we're talking not preschool, yes. kindergarten, or first grade, something around that time. Um, yeah. Doesn't that kind of line up as to what we're dealing with right now? Two young kids, quotation mark, in love. And we also have a side story where you have two ghosts possessing two kids, unfortunately siblings, but it still lines up to kind of make a love story or try to make a love story where Edmund and Danny are siblings kind of well she's made him kind of a sibling like i love you like a brother you know <laughs> besties they're not really you know i don't know i think it just kind of it's kind of a weird lineup do you get what i'm saying here yeah mm -hmm. so yeah <laughs> it, it was a necessary part of the story and to also explain why she's seeing this apparition or is it in her head yeah that's the thing. I mean, I see so many people online saying that it's it's just her manifestation of her guilt over the fact that literally, I mean, and this is so tragic about the episode. She literally just breaks up with him minutes before they go outside. They've had a fight in the car. He, he, you know, he's very passionately and very realistically saying, why? Why did you put me through all this? Why, you know, if you didn't, you know, and she's like, and she can't really explain it. She didn't want to break his heart. She didn't want to say anything because everybody was so happy, but she just doesn't feel it. And then, like, because he's so upset, he's like, I can't deal with this. And he gets out of the car, and just immediately the, the lights from the, you know, the oncoming truck 
light up his glasses exactly like you've seen him this entire time, and then bam, like yeah. out of nowhere, he's just no, you know gone. And like she had no time, literally, to process. I mean, they were in the middle of the uh, the most heated fight, the worst fight that you can possibly have with somebody that you quote unquote love, and then he's gone. Like so, yeah. there's no resolution she'll ever have from that ever. You I know, I'm going to say. <laughs> And I'm sorry if this disappoints people. You can hate me if you want to. But that was a very cliche death. Like, he gets out of his car and goes in the middle of the street practically. Nah, I mean. It had to happen. Does, I get it. I, yeah, I mean. I, but I, I do like how they tied in the, the shining yes. uh, headlights into, into of the, the glasses. glasses. Like, yeah, because it's it just such a, I mean, because he is completely blacked out and all you can see is his glasses and it's just like, okay, now I know why he looks like that. Exactly. Mind, because that's the very last thing she saw of him before he was gone. It had the similar effect, almost, kind of, of the uh, the hanging girl in Hill House. Yeah. That revelation. Yeah, true. There was a... There was a little bit of an echo of that for sure, yeah. But now what this uh, has done in this story is this has turned that scary situation into now a tragic to where you're like, oh, fuck, you're not scared of it anymore. You feel bad. And I liked it when it was scary. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it's... I agree with you on the woke stuff. Like he he's introduced woke stuff, but there's a difference in it. I, I wouldn't call it woke. I would just say it's progressive because he doesn't beat you over the head with it. And that's what I've always argued about this stuff. You can have progressive, you know, and I'm going to call them that because that's a, I mean, stuff that you're trying to, you know, like incorporate like more modern day stuff can do this without being preachy, which is where it goes in the woke territory. Anybody that says, I don't believe the word. I mean, this includes Neil Gaiman. He's a great writer, but he's an idiot with this. You, there is a difference between woke and being progressive. Neil Gaiman back in the eighties or early nineties, whenever he wrote Sandman was progressive. He had like, you know, gay and lesbian themes. He had like characters, but now he has gone the side of woke where it not only is it in his stories, but he's also preachy about it. He, he, he pushes it to the nth degree. Yeah. And that's the difference between these stories. The story didn't take a back seat because Danny was gay. No, the not story at all. was that Danny was gay and it was worked into the overall plot of the show. Yes. There's a big difference between the two of those. And it worked really, really well. It could have been Victorian times and this would have been, it would have worked even better. Yeah. I mean, it, it really would have. I mean, the fact that, I mean, and there's a, there's a hint. Uh, even though she was still heterosexual, that Viola was almost like of some kind of like, you know, more progressive spectrum because she really didn't care about marriage. She really didn't care about like, you know, men in general. She did fall in love with the, the man who became her husband and had her child. But it was uh, but it wasn't something that she was interested in. It wasn't like the focus of her life. Mm -mm. And, you know, that's that's a bit progressive, especially for the time period that Viola lived in. Oh, absolutely. Um. But again, it's not woke in the sense that it's it's not like Mike Flanagan, like some of these horrible writers that we have nowadays on shows like She-Hulk and, you know, um, The Rings of Power, where they literally, like, they, they've got a hammer and they're sitting there smacking your head. It's like, this character's gay. This character's this. This character's this. Do you get our point yet? And it's like, 
and you're sitting there bloody and you're bruised up and you're like, I get your point, but yeah. where's your goddamn story to go along with it? I don't care, you know, that this character's this way. Give me a good story to, you know, to, and and put those characters within that story. Yeah, I think the way that it was addressed in this episode was you 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 feel it. You're like, oh my god, this poor girl. She's been, you know, lesbian this whole time. She's just now realizing it, and now it's going to be tragedy because a man she truly does love is going to be hurt because of how she feels and she deserves to feel the way that she feels. But at the same time, you know, he has a right to be mad, but oh, it's just tragic all over. So. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it is completely, uh, I mean, tragic, heartbreaking in all the senses of the word. And that's the reason I mean, that you, you really feel for her whenever she's, she, and you understand why she keeps seeing him. It's just, she, she's, and, and the reason she's seeing him more often now is because whenever she first, and the narrator even says this, that she was uh, taken by the groundskeeper as soon as she first saw her. The more that she, you know, the more she realizes that she's in the Jamie, the more she sees Edmund because her guilt is telling her, it's like, you realize that you gave up the, you know, quote unquote, the love of your life or you forced him away. And now you're sitting here and you're not only is she moving on, but she's actually finally admitting the reason she was not in physical love with him. Yeah. You know, and then she, and she's singing more because that guilt is just, you know, killing her inside. Yeah. Um, also. In this episode, we have, and I don't know, again, do you have to do this to kind of get Edmund out of, does she have to do this to get Edmund out of her head? Or is this a way, like a supernatural way, where you destroy something that a spirit is attached to? She burns his glasses. Yeah, it's it's the one uh, item that is is holding, it's one of the, the focal items for, I mean, in all the senses of that word that, you know, reminds her of him. Yes. Like she, she's destroying it because it's the one, it's just like in supernatural lore. I mean, we, we go back to that TV show all the time, but like if they had a personal item that meant a lot to them or was like one of the, the things that remained of them uh, and, and that item would have had like at least some of his, you know, like blood or something on it. Yeah. Even if you couldn't see it because the fact the way he died, like being, you know, it was cracked literally. Yeah. Um, it's got part of him in it. So that's the one way to kind of remove him from, you know, from, from her life that way. Shoot. Bobby Singer was able to stay with his flask, you know, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Probably maybe just had a little bit of a saliva on it. So, I mean, I can imagine sitting against your skin, your glasses have oil, if nothing at all, it doesn't even matter. It's just something that you're attached to. Um, she burns them, and then bye-bye, Edmund. Yeah, uh, I can't remember. Is this the episode where at the end of it, like, she turns around and, like, he's he's sucked into the house, or is that later on in the show? Like, oh, God. I, mean, I can't I remember. Can't remember. I, I, I don't remember, honestly. But, yes, that happened. So, I just don't know um, where. <laughs> The one way this ties into uh, another Henry James story by the name of the way it came is that it actually, the, the way it came involves an engagement that ends between two people that were, you know, because of, uh, in, in that version, it was jealousy. And it, and it has a supernatural angle in that both people in that relationship, uh, is, which is not really worked into this necessarily, but it's uh, both people in that relationship were, and the reason they, they were close and, and became engaged they had experienced a, a point where they saw a loved one right at the moment of the, or, you know, at the point when their loved one was dying, meaning they saw basically a, 
a, you know, like a spiritual doppelganger or something of the, of the loved one that was, you know, was either going to pass away shortly or was, you know, in the, on the verge of dying at the time that they saw them. And so they had that connection that way. But then uh, because uh, the, it's, it's in a real weird part of the story, to my understanding, like the, the, when the, the man of the relationship uh, comments about how he saw a female friend of the, uh, of, of the woman that he's marrying uh, in, in this fetching dress or something like that, it turns out he saw a version of her that was right before she died. So he was seeing that phenomenon again. But the woman couldn't get over the fact of how, uh, how taken with that, the, the, her friend that he was, even if her friend did die, it was like he was spreading too many compliments about her and how fetching her dress was. And so she, out of jealousy, she broke it off with him and the, and the two never married. So they kind of tied in that theme of the, yeah. the marriage being broken off, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, one um, more thing. I want to say this is the episode where we kind of, we see, uh, oh God, why can't I think of her name? Um, the main, the main ghost, the head bitch in charge. Uh, Viola. Viola. Is this the episode where the kids kind of distract Danny and, and this, we see this her is the pass? Episode where they, yeah, this is the episode where they, and I th- yeah, this, because that's what it is. You, this, I think this is the episode where Edmund disappears in the house, but that's because they, they uh, Danny tracks those steps outside, uh, but then like loses track of Viola once she's like headed back in the lake, you know, that's yeah. where, cause she, because they, she sees that the mud, and she thinks that it's the kids again. Yeah. And then she realizes someone else is there, and and they they barely keep her from like getting within Viola's clutches by you know kind of like coming up with some story or something to kind of keep her from yeah. like falling her the whole entire way. They just distract her, and you kind of just see her in the background, and it's like, okay, this is it. It's the the intensity is building up. Where shit's gonna start taking off from here. Yeah, it's it's definitely the closer it gets, the the more it is. I mean, it's it's getting there as far as like just the build up of the show. But um, like like I said, props to uh, Rahul uh, or however you say his name, like the actor who plays Owen, because like I mean, his speech, like he's like remembering his mother is just like you know it it's it's right up there with the, all the the great acting that that Victoria Pedretti does in this episode on her her side of it in the past like him whenever he's like just talking about his mother and like the, the reason, the things that they, they wouldn't know about her because all they, they focused on was the fact that she had her illness, but he remembered her in the good days. And it's, it was pretty heartbreaking. You know what Owen's scene was? Owen's scene was exactly what the turning could not accomplish in their entire movie about having a mother, about having a mother with, you know, a tragic, you know, background. Oh Yeah. And that's weird that you say that. That's true because both of them deal with a character that's mm-hmm. got a, a mother who's got like a mental illness of some kind, but they handle it so differently and one does it so well. Exactly. And like I said, Owen is not a huge part of it. Then again, neither is Hannah. But when you get to their tragic stories, it adds to the health. It adds to the, you know, the episodes and makes them strong standout characters without being main characters at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, they're, they're definitely, they're definitely characters who, even if they are side characters, they add to the overall story and the overall, I mean, like the, the make you care about what's going on. I yeah. Mean, actually more than some of the main characters do in my opinion, but. <laughs> yeah. But I digress. <clears throat> 
Are uh, we done with the this next episode? episode is the, okay. al- the altar of the dead. Um, that is the episode where we learn about Hannah Gross uh, being actually Ugh. deceased. Yes. Oh my God. I mean, but I kind of knew. Yeah. Well, if if you pay attention the second time through, it's kind of like you know whenever you rewatch um, the the Sixth Sense. Every time, I mean, they always have a reason for it, you know, so it passes it off a little bit. But every time that Hannah is supposed to be eating or drinking something in the current time, she's not. She never touches it, ever. Yeah. Like, she has it in her hand, but she never drinks or eats it. Yeah, and, I noticed uh, that. And that was very, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? That was very, um, God, it reminded me of the others. Oh, yeah, yeah, because the, nobody was eating or drinking anything, and the one girl might have had a bite of, but it was it was a cutaway thing, so you didn't really even see that either. She might have had, like, a bite of toast or something. Um, but, yeah, in yeah. this one, like, no, I'm, I'm just trying, sorry, happens, I was trying to think. <laughs> in this one, it's the, it's the very first time you see it is when Danny offers to make everybody a cup of tea because, like, you know, they're British and they don't drink coffee like she, she offered, so... They uh, she tries to make them tea, and then like they they work it in to where it kind of distracts from it because everybody agrees that her tea is awful. But at the same time, <laughs> you know, Mrs. Gross, you know, or Hannah did not touch hers at all, and they use the excuse of, "Oh well, she just didn't want to hurt your feelings," you know, and and say anything about it. Yeah. But but there's scenes later on where Owen is cooking for them, and she doesn't uh, partake in any of that either. Yeah, never. Um, she she never does. Um, it's also, it kind of helps that at, in the first episode, which we discussed the setup episode, that it is explained they never, I think, excuse me, am I wrong? Am I, am I, did I make this up that they don't stay past dinner there? Uh, they do. Or they have dinner, uh, but then they go home. They, she randomly appears, Hannah does, and they explain it in this reason why she does, but Owen is always home with his mom, and I don't ever, and then Jamie only stays whenever she sees that Danny is tore up so much that she needs to stay with her. Like, she offers to stay with her that night that yeah. she's having all that trouble with remembering Edmund and what went on with him, but that's because, that that's when Owen actually stays over because his mother has passed away. Like, they, until that point, they all leave, other than, like, like I said, Hannah randomly popping up, but that's because, as we reveal in this episode, Hannah is is dead at the bottom of the well. That's why she keeps seeing that that certain symbol everywhere that she looks. It's actually one of the cracked bits of the the stonework of the well that she happens to be staring at her body's staring at for all of eternity now. And um, she's re- and she's moving in and in and out of the present and the past and not really uh, stuck and not really staying with any of them. Um, and and it's it's. A really different way of interpreting a ghost. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and okay, going back a few episodes, here's the thing. I think kind of seeing Hannah always had kind of a sadness to her, almost. Yeah. A disparity, and like one I can remember. So I don't remember if it's episode one or two. It might have been towards the end of episode one where she's in that like little tiny chapel. Yes. And she's just there, and it's just like, I'm thinking, bitch, you dead. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. But I think Mike Flanagan has this thing about, okay, when you're in a creepy, you know, gothic-style house in a gothic ghost story, 
everyone who's alive needs to leave by a certain time. Unless you're actually an inhabitant of the house or like, a you know, the, um, the, 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 the nanny of the kids obviously can't leave. Yeah, he's playing the convention on that, though, because in a lot of those stories, that's how they set it up in the story itself to kind of add to the creep factor of the, yes. for the inhabitants who were, you know, there. It's like the least amount of, like, staff that you have around, the more you can build up that feeling of, like, you know, am I seeing this? Is this, you know, or is this, or you know, like, and, I mean, it's just scarier whenever you're in, lower, in more limited numbers yeah. than that I would mean- be. And I guess you wouldn't question it. I would. I'd be like, why aren't you staying in this massive fucking mansion? It's a manor that you could stay. But then again, they have families they got to go home to. So it's not like you really can question it. It's like, oh, okay, well, sucks to be you. Go home to your peasant house. I'm going to stay in the manor tonight, and then you're going to die. Well, that's one of the things they reveal about Hannah is that she and she tragically didn't have a family to go home to even then because her husband had left her for undisclosed reasons uh, to be with another woman or something like that. So prior to her meeting uh, Owen, like she had nobody like it was literally the house and, you know, her and that was it. Like the inhabitants were her only outside connection to anything. Yeah. Um, It's called the altar of the dead for the fact that she is the one that, like you said, goes to the little shrine in the uh, chapel that's adjacent to the house uh, where it's revealed in this episode that Viola's name is, you know, uh, clearly, you know, I mean, it's a setup for her in in the next couple episodes, but uh, one of the uh, things that, um, uh, that uh, Flora is playing, Flora is actually doing like a rubbing at one point. I don't know if it's in this episode or the the one on the Two Faces Part Two, but she's doing a rubbing of like one of the the grave markers, and it's Viola's that she's doing the the marking of. But um, it's in it's in that you know uh, uh, kind of uh, chapel or whatever beside the house. She's lighting the candles for the ones that you know. She's it's it's introducing that concept of you got to remember the dead because you know you're the only ones you know that remember them to keep their memory alive, and um, uh, it's it's also I mean the reason it's called the Altar of the Dead is there is another Henry James story about a preacher who uh, does just the same thing for the same exact reason he builds a shrine in his church to honor the dead because uh, the I think the the theme of the story is is that whenever you know if you forget the dead then they're completely you know lost so he you know that's that's the theme of his church and um i think at the end of that story there's like one person in his life that he swore that he will uh he's kind of swore that he'll never forgive and that person comes to him in like his dying moments and or, or somebody close to him comes in his dying moments and begs him to forgive that person because that's his one you know without that you know he can't have salvation and it's kind of and and the gist of the story is is that he's still around or you know like the end of it like barely but like he he doesn't but or like the way it ends it's like did he die before he forgave the person or did he forgive him you know with his first breath as a spirit in the afterlife and it doesn't reveal either way so you don't know if he's like damned for eternity because he he moved on without forgiving the the one person that wronged him in life yeah and so it kind of ties into the theme of this a little bit that way look at um, I'm going to bring Supernatural back into this. When you forget the dead, they're going to become very vengeful. <laughs> well, Viola did. 
Uh. Y- yeah, and because well, there wasn't anyone to remember her. Yeah, and the well, that's true. And the then the two people in her life that should have remembered her probably wanted to forget everything about what happened because of the way that that things ended. Well, we get to that when we get to her episode. <laughs> Good God. Uh, but anything else about this episode? I just thought it, this one's an interesting one, just because it, you know the 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 time loop thing. It 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 goes into detail about that right before it sets up the the time loop that Jessel and um and Quinn are in. Is this the one? I mean, it is. We we see how Hannah we see how Hannah dies, right? Yes. The, okay. That is the one where Quint, having possessed uh Miles. Uh, he catches her near that well and then he pushes her over and then, you know, and, and that's how she dies. Okay. And she realizes in this episode, cause I'm mixing up episodes again. She realizes in this episode, she's dead. She realizes she's dead, but then she immediately uh, forces that out of her mind and negates that because she's having that interesting conversation with her version of Owen that even admits to her. It's like, I'm not the real Owen. You know, this is in your head. This is you speaking to yourself. You need to admit, you know, what happened. And she, for a fraction of a second, sees it, totally blasts it out of her mind and says, nope, I'm, I'm not going to believe that that's what really happened. She's so like, she, yeah. She, yeah, she, she, she realizes it later on because she has to, because uh, she's forced to for, uh, for different reasons. Uh, but in this one, she's presented with that and she, and maybe she's been presented with it before, but she, she negates it and just says, no, I don't believe this is what happened. This is all a dream. Yeah. Cause if you ignore it, then it didn't happen. Who was the person that helped her realize she was dead? I want to say it was Peter Quint. Um, because he forced her to admit that she was dead through the use of Miles because she's talking to Miles and then Peter Quinn has possessed him at that point, like completely. This is the point where he gets uh, in, in the two faces part two uh, or right, you know, right after Viola, I believe it is, uh, you know, it, it, right before Viola, he has, uh, he, you know, he convinces Miles to, you know, given that, you know, that phrase to uh, completely move on and um or to, to let him take over his body completely and then wherever he has taken control of that hannah gross tries to do something to keep them uh, both from leaving him and flora as miss jessel and he tells her he's like you stupid bitch he's like you're dead <laughs> like you know he forces her to acknowledge the fact that she's in the well you know and so he's doing it as more like a self-preparation thing because he knows that she's the one person that's going to fuck up everything for both of them well, mostly for him. Well, yeah. I mean, he's mostly concerned about himself in that sense. But, yeah, it's it's uh, pretty much that. Yeah, to pr- to pretend um, that it's going to mess up anything for her is, I, I, I can't I can't stand here and be like, yeah, it's going to be messed up for her. Yeah, they're going to find out she's a ghost, but she hasn't done anything to, like, I don't know, cause them to be concerned about that. I don't know. That's just me. <laughs> Um, but on the next episode after that, uh, the one, this is my least favorite of the entire show to be perfectly honest with you, because I mean, there's good story elements to it, but I don't like what I, I, the focus on, uh, you know, uh, Wingrave, uh, you know, uh, 
kind of, I mean, the only good thing about it is when the, the feeling in the past for Wingrave and how, you know, he came and revealed that he's actually Flora's, uh, uh, father and some of that other stuff. And this is the episode called the Jolly Corner. Uh, but I didn't like any of the stuff with his evil doppelganger because it doesn't really fit with the rest of the show. Um, and it does, and it's not explained whatsoever other than the fact it could be his guilt, just like Danny's was Edmund, but it's not really said in any way, shape or form. Okay. So I'm glad we're finally discussing this. And yes, this, this is the least memorable episode for me. Although it is a little creepy. I, in my, I don't know, typical Raina self, I thought that that was his brother, the spirit of his brother. <laughs> well, I mean, if they would have, it would have been one thing if they would have had it look like his brother and he would have been sitting there braiding him like that. But yeah. I mean, since it was himself, it was just like almost the total manifestation of his own guilt. Yeah. Like, I mean, there wasn't any ambiguity like there was with Danny, whether it could be the actual spirit. It's just like, okay, you hate yourself that, you know, whatever, dude, you know, that, <laughs> Okay, can I say now, even though, again, this is not the most standout episode, I am going to say that I I like it a little bit more now. Because when I thought it was his brother, I'm like, how me? Like, okay, like, now? Like, why are you, why is this the thing? Is that what was keeping him away from the house? But realistically, one, the promise. Obviously, he made a promise to his brother. Two, um, I wouldn't want to go back to the house if my own guilt was was coming at me the way it does in this episode yeah and um it works in one other angle i mean well first of all it, the jolly corner is a story by james about a, it's, it's very similar about this businessman who sees like an evil version of himself that speaks to him and it's kind of like you know is this a you know evil visitation by something is this his own self so it works in that angle so that's why it's called that and why you know they went that route but it almost works in the angle, too, of if you see yourself, I don't know if this is Appalachian lore or if this is like something that you've heard of, but if you see yourself, you're, I mean, it, that's a, you know, you will die shortly thereafter. That is very, I mean, that is something that I've heard since childhood, that if you see a version of yourself, you will die very okay. soon thereafter. Wait a second. Let's talk about this real quick because you got me all fucked up. In a dream or in real life? In real life. Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> We're no, not going to go mean, on a long no, tangent because I've seen myself as an evil entity in a dream. I was the bad person in the dream. It was me when my face was to, revealed. They don't even have to be evil. It's just okay. in, it's it's around here. The lore is if you see yourself. Oh, I mean, no. Um. And like the story I think of is that one that my grandma told me is that this one uh, gentleman uh, who was a, a drunk uh, was, you know, uh, and I don't know how far back this goes, if it was like if he was driving or if it, you know, if it was like horse and buggy, but basically in the middle of a road, uh, you know, this old dirt road, middle of a holler somewhere where nobody was around, he happened upon a casket in the middle of the road. He, he got, he stumbled off of his horse or out of his car, whatever it was, uh, open and, and looked in on the coffin. And when, and when he opened it up, he was inside of it and he was dead like a day later. Yeah. Okay. I'm just, I, I'm better now. I'm better now. I'll never forget that dream where the bad person was myself. And that was a fucked up reality waking up to that. 
But then hearing that if you see yourself, you're probably going to die. Well, granted, this was like a, like a year or two ago that this happened, this dream. So clearly I did not die shortly after. But holy fuck. And yeah, a doppelganger I hear is never, um, well, an omen is never a good omen. Uh, from what I hear, but I can't imagine seeing yourself is going to be amazing. That almost would be like looking at your, it would almost be like your spirit looking at your dead body almost. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's, there's an element there of that or something is going to take over your body. If nothing else. I mean, there's a lot of lore about that too. Um, I don't like it. Yeah. It's, but it just, uh, it makes me wonder on this, uh, I mean, episode because literally the very next time that, you know, you see Henry Wingrave is whenever he's driving into Bly Manor and then he meets up with Viola and she technically kills him. Like he's brought back by Owen, you know, through CPR, but he dies. So it's like, you know, it, it kind of sets that up where he saw his himself that, that, you know, that, and then he died shortly thereafter, but he also broke his promise to his brother and that, that also led into it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, the backstory between, Henry and his brother, and then you know, uh, you know, I, and I don't know her name sadly, but uh, Charlotte's mom, Charlotte, uh, there you go, yeah. Uh, and then the last uh, scene of the two together, I mean, that was really well done where they both admit that they love each other, but they but she realizes that it's wrong for you know, and for her family, and she's got to break it off with him. And you know, what? So, I mean, they're, they're... what would make her feel that way at all? <laughs> Oh, her just fucking her brother's or her husband's her, brother. Her oh, brother-in-law. Yeah. Oh, you realized it's wrong. Now you've realized it's wrong. Oh, my God. Wow. The revelation. Well, her husband, you know, threatened to take her children away from her. Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God, and this wasn't even but, Victorian I mean, times. This It's funny because this is the 80s, but it really does have a lot of Victorian time, like, I don't know vibes because that was a big thing. Women's children was their biggest threat in in the Victorian times was taking them away. Even in a uh, fucking uh times of Jack the Ripper specifically. That was the biggest thing for some of these prostitutes as their children were taken away from them. That's true. I mean, and it was uh well, I mean it if you think about it, I mean, like a woman's worth at that, that that time was, you know, more about her ability to raise a child and and that sort of thing. So if you took that away from her, what did she have? Well, yeah. And I mean, okay. <laughs> also, what was the biggest root cause? Maybe we don't want to reveal that yet, but the biggest root cause of why uh, Viola was so violent. <laughs> well, it's mainly because her, uh, I mean, well, the main reason was is because the items that she left to her daughter had been taken away from her uh, by her sister, and her sister was uh, trying to take her family away from her. Kind even of. after death. Yes, yeah. but the reason why she was going after children was because she never got to hold her child. She, oh, that's true. She died of consumption. She never, she and, and was. she was never allowed around her child. I yes, forgot about that. She was yeah. so strong-willed just to stay alive. She's dying of, I call it consumption. Uh, she was dying from the lung, I think is what it was called in this. Or also yeah, tuberculosis. Yeah, it was called lung in this. It was tuberculosis. You know, yeah, it was, it was that. Yeah, whatever you want to call it. So she was dying, you know, and, and all she wanted to do was meet her child. Again, you're right. It's, it's, it's kind of a woman's worth. 
I mean, whatever. I think even today, it's not one of those, oh, my God, that's all they were good for. But I think even today, a majority of women, it is in our DNA that we are to be good moms. We are that that's what we're born to do. Not that's not all we can do. But that's like a big thing for us. We're motherly in everything towards animals, towards our husbands, almost sometimes, uh, especially our children, anything we can care for a fucking plant. You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't have to be a human child by any means. A woman's going to be motherly towards whatever she can take care of. Yeah, I mean, I, and the fact that, yeah, I, I for, totally forgot about that. There's the one scene where, I mean, we're discussing Viola again, but I mean, <laughs> she's a gravity well. She pulls everything to her. How could you not? Um, <laughs> the, but the one scene where she almost gets to be with her daughter, like she, she, I mean, she even looks like death in that scene. Like she, they, both of them are surprised to see her up. She's, you know, supposed to be, you know, almost completely dead she's like forced herself up she can barely breathe like her you know like she's got this the dark circles in her eyes and she's like i don't care i don't care about any of this i want to uh, i want to be with my daughter i want to hug her and then they're like and then she goes to move toward her and then the like you know she starts coughing so deeply that she can't move and then you know you see that look in her eyes like she's just you know destroyed like emotionally and which is you know it goes back to how good an actress uh, kate is yes and then she's like and then she's like and then she looks at her sister and she's like just take me back to my room like you know oh, she's just i you know, know the just, heartbreak <laughs> And I and I totally forgot that was her. I mean, because for some reason now she did get to hold her her baby shortly after she was born. But then they but that's but that's also whenever they said no, she can't have anything else to do with her now because you know she was diagnosed right after she had held her child. I think. Well, yes, and not only that, but this is also why. Spoiler alert! Sorry, folks. Children die because she doesn't know what her child looks like. She's only held the baby one time in her arms. So any child that becomes a victim of blind manner, it's just that she's trying to get to her child so passionately, you know? Well, she's also forgot over the length of time not only what she looked like, but what her daughter looked like. I mean, she yes. had an idea of what her daughter looked like prior to her her death, but then, like, it's been so many years, like, she doesn't remember. She doesn't remember if she had a daughter. She just had a child. A child, So yes. any child will do, yeah. Absolutely. Bring them into the water. I know all about that. Um. But there's nothing else to discuss about the Jolly Corner. It was not the best episode of the show. I would actually rate it below the introductory episodes, uh, other than the fact that it's got some good fill-in uh, history that yeah. kind of like lets you know more about like what's why he's not there. We also get a lot of uh, time looping or uh, explanation. Well, maybe not explanation, but you you see the time looping. So yeah, it could be an explanation, or it could just be visually seeing it happening. Yeah, yeah, and it and it gives you enough of a backstory to or enough of a fill in to where when it gets to the episode talking in the in the face you know the two faces part two where it's revealed that Flora is actually being pushed to the you know like to the back of her own mind and that that uh, Jessel is taking over you realize why she's going back and spending time with her parents you know a little bit more or that makes a little bit more emotionally uh, it makes sense just because you get to see more of her interaction with her parents in this you know in this part of it yeah. 
the next episode is the Two Faces Part Two, just like we talked about. You you get to reveal that Flora is being possessed and pushed to the back of her own mind. You get uh, you uh, the horrible, tragic you know backstory with Peter Quint and his parents, like uh, in particular his last. Uh, interaction with his mother who wasn't there just to visit her son she was there actually to scam him because he's this big rich you know uh, businessman now and like you know and his father was too much of a fucking coward even you know to, to call him up he sent his mom to do the emotional dirty work and trying to guilt trip him into all this and so uh and then you get to see uh more of his interactions with how with jessel and 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 it reveals how they both died or whatever. And, you know, he was the one that was killed first right after, you know, they had this uh, passionate, you know, like lovemaking together, but then they kind of had a fight because she was like, well, I don't know. Cause he told her he could get the money, but then he was kind of vague about it. And then she started like her red flags kicked up, you know, how, you know, what are you saying? And that kind of made him mad. And then he got caught by Viola obviously. And that's how his life ended. And she drug him all the way back to the water. And then when Jessel, uh, is, is out there, she actually, you know, she, she finds his body, you know, uh, underneath the water and that, and realizes that he's died and, and kind of, did she take her own life? I can't remember. Or was she also killed? Uh, which one are we talking like about? She, Rebecca Jessel. Jessel. I, I feel like she, yeah. She was She forced. took her life, right? Well, it looks like she took her life. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. It, no, I remember now. It's because Quint learned how to possess her and or, or learned how to possess. He told her about that. He told her there might be a way they could get off the property. And buddy, what he ended up doing is he lied to her. I remember now. And he, he, he took over her mind and forced her under the water and she basically had to watch as her own body died. That's mm-hmm. what happened. Yes. Uh, and allegedly it's not as bad cause she couldn't feel it because she was possessed, but fuck that is, that's, that's fucked up. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it, for all the empathy you get from him in this episode with his parents and all that, it goes right out the window, right? As soon as you see what he does to her in the interest of just being with her, because I, it's almost like he's afraid that she'll move on. And so he does that to make her, or she has to be there with him. She has to be within his orbit, you know, at that point. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and we get a little bit more about, and then this is also the episode where Danny, uh, fully realizes that, uh, I think it happened at the end of the last episode where she first sees Jessel because that's kind of the shocking reveal at the end of the previous episode, the Jolly Corner. But in this episode, that's whenever she gets uh, knocked out. Uh, well, actually, after she gets knocked out at the end of the last episode. And this one, she wakes up and it turns out that she's Quint and Jessel are both there. And he's kind of explaining um, basically what he's going to do in the sense that he's going to take the two children over uh, or they are, and that, um, and, and basically Danny is in the middle of all that. She's kind of a hindrance. So she's going to have to be dealt with. And you, this is also the episode that drags in, um, Perdita. Is that her name? Like, uh, Viola's sister. Oh um, yes. She, she's actually the one that he's like, you see what happens if you stay in this place? Cause he, he's got a reason why he's wanting to get the fuck out of there because he's realized the reason that the, you know, the, and, uh, these, uh, you know, these ghosts have no faces, which we revealed in the previous episode. Uh, Flora actually gave one of the ch- child ghosts, uh, you know, that the, you know, the mask or whatever, because yeah. it didn't have a face. 
but um you know he holds perdita up and like she's just it's, it's she's kind of a pathetic shell of herself like because yes. i mean she just like you know she doesn't even doesn't even fight him she just lays there after he's like done throwing around like a rag doll in yeah front of him. that that was insane um i want to back up just a little bit real quick because <sighs> jessel she may not have committed suicide like you thought, but I can understand why you thought that because she did willingly let, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Quint into her body. She did, yeah. She did. So, um, I mean, death by misadventure? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, I... <laughs> Anyways, going yeah. back to Perdita, though, that's... Um, that was weird. I didn't understand the whole ragdoll. Well, not ragdoll, but it, it, that's the best way to describe. I, I didn't quite understand that until you said it. She is just a shell of herself. But do you yeah, think she, she is... has some mem memory that's kind of making her that way? Like, do you think she still, she has no face. So technically she's forgotten, but something's holding her down. She, she hasn't become super violent. I feel like that she is the I, I think that viola has like somehow i mean in the way that she took her out and the way that she's like relegated her to like the the trash in the attic where you know the uh where the 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 trunk was kept yeah is almost like uh you know it's like viola is the one like still keeping her down like even in the afterlife she has uh you know like she is controlling her sister just like she did in life Folks, if there's one thing we can say with for with certainty is do not fuck your siblings better half, okay, or you know, <laughs> spouse, okay? Like just just don't do it because in the afterlife you're going to fucking pay for it. <laughs> She's definitely paying for it in this episode. Um this is um, the episode this is this is just just want to make sure cuz we both loved that scene. Is this the trunk episode that we loved so much? The, dress? Uh, the next one is the ah, romance of certain old clothes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this episode is the, is basically just finishes up telling you how, you know, Jessel and Quint came to be the, what their ultimate plans are, or at least Quint's. I mean, you can tell that Jessel is uh, very torn on this because even though she's not had any qualms against using poor Flora's body uh, to kind of relive or to be able to touch and feel and all that stuff, she has, uh, she still doesn't believe that, you know, totally taking over the, the child's body and, and, and pushing the child out of her own uh, living body is, is, you know, you know, she, it's not like the best idea or not like the most ethical or moral thing that she could do. So she's at least still got some of that, you know, morality to her. Yeah. She's um, consumed by love big time because I'm sorry, but she, there's a point in this episode where she knows Peter is a ghost. Like, knows. And we see in the episode, even though he can possess a body, he still can't leave the grounds. Like, she actually escapes. Yeah, yeah. She um, she escapes, but then, like, you know, and I think that's whenever he gets scared, and that's why he works his way into trying to get her to agree to uh, let him possess her because he knows that he's going to ultimately lose her when she realizes that she can move on. She just hasn't moved on enough. Yeah. And cause she comes back hard to be able to leave. Absolutely. Yeah. She technically escapes. She, she gets, makes it out of the grounds. He can't follow, which actually kind of fucks up a little bit. The story about how, um, he was, uh, how miles 
might have committed the shit he did at school. Yeah, but well, yeah, I don't know if if it really fucks it over as if he. I mean, because I think he might have been he might have ridden out of there in miles and then like, you know, Oh yeah. Okay. That's different. Well, wait a second. But if he ridden out there in miles, he technically could have gone out with the person's body. He's taken over when he was chasing Rebecca on the grounds. I guess that's true too. Yeah. Okay. But maybe it doesn't have to be that way. It could just be, maybe it was miles subconscious that, again, made him return to the house. Again, think about Rebecca. Rebecca technically escaped. She was not possessed or anything, but something drew her back to the house. It, it was Peter. That's true. That drew her back to the house, or she was just like, okay, well, we could make this work. Can you? Can you make it work? <laughs> I, I, it, did, it didn't work out. <laughs> no, it didn't work out at all. And uh, this has got, like, the ultimate, like, badass cliffhanger ending in the sense that, like, you know, when Danny, Danny is able to escape because Jessel only made it look like she, her and Flora made it look like she took over Flora completely, but that yeah. was a lie. And while Quint was distracted elsewhere in Miles's body, uh, I think that's whenever he's actually convincing Hannah Gross that she's dead. Yes. That, um... Uh, she's able to, or they are able to untie, uh, um, Danny, Danny and yeah. then, and then Danny leaves with Flora and whenever she's trying to run out with her outside, uh, she happens to meet the lady of the house, uh, in a very, very direct manner. <laughs> and that's whenever I thought she was going to die instantly. Oh, the yeah. the, the, I mean, when I first saw it, I was like, okay. <laughs> Same. Um, wouldn't, I mean, she's technically the lady of the house, but she's also the lady of the lake too. Yeah. You know well, what? Let's she, just put it this way. The lady of the grounds. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, the Lady of Bly in general. Yeah, she she owns but, that um, shit. But yeah, she, and then then I mean that's all we really need to talk about that episode. Honestly, it just wraps up all that stuff. And then we get into the this is actually Mike Flanagan's favorite episode, my favorite episode show, and I'm sure it's yours. Is the uh, the romance of certain old clothes, <laughs> which is it's named that because it literally is that that story by James just inserted into the turn of the screw. Like yeah. it's literally a whole other ghost story of his, like fully inserted into this one. Yeah. Uh, I think they, the names are changed because I think Perdita was actually the one who was the lady of the house in that one. And, uh, but all the, the other things match up pretty closely as far as how they, the, you know, they redid the story. So this is like, a, this is an adaptation of another Henry James story within the turn of the screw, basically. Yes. Oh God! This was this was the episode for sure. Um, I loved everything. I loved the scene. I know a lot of people. I saw online at the time that it happened because I I just got to looking like through like old like forms and stuff about this. A lot of people got uh, sick and tired of hearing that that phrase, uh, you know, by the narrator in this episode. But I, it gave me chills after a while because you realized what it was leading up to. That was like she slept. Or she would sleep, she would wake, she would walk. Like, she kept saying that phrase over and over. But, like, and when you first heard it, it's like, okay. You know, like the character when she was living. But the closer and closer she got to death, like, it started giving me chills. Because I was like, I, that means that she's always going to do this even after death. You know? Like, yes. That's all she does. Because <laughs> that's, I mean, that's what she, you know, that's what she was used to in life. So that's what she would continue to do in death. 
And the, and the thing that got me the most was the, that she would wake and she would walk because that's just so creepy to think about with somebody who's dead, you know, that they would wake up and just walk the, you know, the, the house that they once, you know, that they claimed was theirs, you know, but. Well, I um, mean, technically she did add a little bit. I mean, because in death you have a little bit more power sometimes uh, depending on your energy levels and, you know, how many souls you've consumed. And she did add to her uh, regime and that was to kill if she happened to see somebody or come across somebody in the hallways. And I think that's a really good way to exercise, you know, get those energies <laughs> Get that energy flowing. Get it, girl. Um, but it is in this episode that I mean, like we we get a true gothic uh, ghost story. Like oh, this is an episode we? that if Guillermo del Toro didn't, uh, you know, just uh, you know, dive happiness when he saw this, then I I don't know what happened to the man in the years between this and whenever you know whenever he first. Uh, made the devil's backbone because this matches up exactly with what kind of stuff that he loved, you know, to read and, and was an expert in. To put it lightly, he jizzed in his pants. <laughs> he, how could I, you not? This was, oh my God, this episode was so good. I mean, I, I love the story, the, the setting of it, uh, the fact that they didn't like black and white to kind of, or at least a, a very monochrome, like sepia type thing mm -hmm. where it kind of gave it that aged look. Um, you know, the fact that it was, I just, I, I love that. I mean, it was a completely different change of setting and, and characters, but I liked how they did it because they introduced the fact that the plague was going on and then, yeah. you know, that explains the plague doctor and, um, you know, and then, you know, her, you know, and it's progressive, you know, not woke, but progressive. The fact that, you know, uh, you know, Viola realized that she would have to marry to keep, you know, like some other, like, you know, suitor who just was out for her wealth to come in there. So she used her, uh, power as a woman to basically choose the, the, the one person that might, you know, actually increase the wealth of her ha household. And, um, and then it just ends up to, uh, you know, and, and they worked in the whole angle. It was like, like a true like fantasy, you know, type romance type thing or whatever, where like it just so happened that the one guy she chose, even if he had originally kind of fell for her sister, uh, they, they, you know, they actually, you know, uh, hit it off whenever they actually, uh, you know, got to talking and like it, it was, they actually cared for one another. Like I, I love the fact that at the end of it, he, he refused to give Perdita access to that trunk, even with, you know, his wife being long dead. Cause he's like, no, I promised her and I'm not going to break that promise. Yeah. Which I mean, it was honorable. <laughs> yeah. And, and her sister just <laughs> would not stop. I mean, I, I get it. It's like you have all this wealth or whatever in this trunk locked away and you're losing your house because your husband's fell on bad times, which that sucked too. It's like she blamed him and it was like, you know, they, they had already established he was a good businessman. So it wasn't necessarily his fault. I mean, you, you, he was just in, you know, going through a bad patch, but she was like kicking him when he was down. It's like, you've lost my family, everything. And it's like, okay, scumbag. I mean, if you want to say that to him, but he's doing the best he, and he just literally lost his, the woman he loved and, you know, and his, and, and, you know, and his daughter, you know, he was, I'm sure he was stressed out trying to provide for her. And it just, I don't know that, that hit me wrong. I was like, when you die, you, you deserve it. Yeah. So anyways, I mean, it, it's definitely the best episode of the, of, of the, the entire show. And I mean, it's, it's the reason why they made the show. I mean, they, they based everything around this character. Absolutely. Um, 
as I was being distracted looking at what was going on with the board, did we discuss already the trunk of the trunk part? No, I mean that, that <laughs> we've not discussed that. That that actually was the scariest part of the whole entire episode oh when those god. hands come out of that dress. I mean, oh my that, god, that's even like in rewatching it a good jump scare. Absolutely. Uh, okay, look. We have all seen, and no matter what you're talking about, whether you're talking about Cinderella, whether you're talking about just where a girl picks up a dress and she's just admiring it. Now, granted, Perdita was admiring it for a different reason. She's like, how much fucking money can I get for this dress? Basically. Uh, but mm-hmm. most of the time, it's a woman looking at dress like, look how beautiful this dress is. And their arms are up, and holy shit, we see Viola's arms go through that dress and just fucking... Fuck her sister's world up forever. And it was amazing, too, on the other side of that, whenever they the narrator talks about, from Viola's perspective, whenever she died, she was trapped with her belongings, just like we talked about, the ones that she valued the most in life, and she was trapped in the trunk with yes. them. And whenever Viola, like, walked through the door by opening the trunk, that, you know, it showed her side of it where she just, you know, she'd had enough and she strangled her sister, and you got to see from her angle, like, how she did that. And, and basically, whenever they threw the... Uh, the trunk into the water or or actually I think it might've accidentally fell into the water in the last episode. No, Uh, how she James thought that it was cursed. So he put, Oh, that's right. He, it was cursed. He threw it in there. Yeah. And he condemned her to be the lady of the lake. He did not know. I mean, how could he know? Yeah. Well, he, yeah, he thought it was cursed because it killed the killed Perdita. So like he, he didn't want his daughter to experience that. So he throws it in the water and that traps, uh, Viola's uh, body or uh, her essence there yes. for all of eternity, basically, because, I mean, her things rotted away at the bottom of that lake, so that's where she had to stay because that's what, you know, she was tr- uh, tied to. Yeah, which was, that was tragic in itself, so. So the very last episode, uh, quickly, is uh, is called The Beast in the Jungle. It's uh, The original story was based on somebody who knew they were going to die, and they had premonitions of that, so they had to live with that for the rest of their life. And it ties in thematically because it's one of the most heartbreaking episodes of the show where Jamie and Danny get to live with one another, but Danny has... She says those words to that she had heard Peter Quint, it, you know, uh, to get Miles to accept, you know, or or he had Miles had said these words to so, to allow Peter Quint inside, and it was like it's it's you, it's us, or you know, oh, something yes. like that. And when she said that, it's you, it's me, it's us. I think a Viola, yeah, and and when she said that, allowed Viola to inhabit her body. And but I mean, since Viola didn't have her own personality, she couldn't insert her will over Danny quite the same you know way that Quint did, because she'd kind of forgotten who she was. But there was always the lingering threat that Viola was there and would eventually, in her senility, would take over, and Danny would just be like a killing machine again. So, um, they, it was they're basically living on borrowed time, is what it amounts to. And they uh, had quite Danny's a bit of time old- together. Like I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, they they had enough of a time together. Maybe not the most time, but I mean, it was it was enough time to have lived a life, and and you know, and and both of them, you know, dealing with the the doom that was over over top of the relationship. Um, but when it's finally revealed at the end of the episode and the end of the show in general that Jamie is actually the narrator, and she's and you know she's actually at Flora's. Uh, wedding and Flora is completely forgotten about what happened in Bly Manor and she yeah. doesn't realize any of it, thankfully. Uh, that you know, but some of the others do. That when I, the the best part of the episode is whenever she goes back to her apartment 
and she's waiting on Danny to show up and, and you, and she goes to sleep and you just, and the very last scene of the show is her, you see like there's another hand on her shoulder. So Danny comes back to her uh, at night, even if she can't see her. Yeah. Which is, which is oh my God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it ultimately, what it did was it turned this show into Something a scary, tragic love but story, a tragic really. love story. That's all that it is. So I don't want that to ruin it for anybody in thinking that, well, I didn't sign up for that. Neither did I, but I still enjoyed it. <laughs> I was expecting yeah, I was expecting Haunting of Hill House, and I'm kind of glad it went an opposite way because we don't want Mike Flanagan to be a, a one-trick pony. And this has clearly proven that he has not. Yeah, he he definitely has the chops to be able to to spin these stories. Like I said, ghost stories are malleable, and he's able to, you know, he saw that too, and he worked it into a different angle. It's not just uh, there to scare you like Hill House it, and kind of have that, you know, uh, just negative feel to it. This was more of like a, a love story that, you know, kind of has hope to it a little bit, even if it is, yes. you know, a, a kind of a sad hope, but it, there is hope there. <laughs> a new hope. <laughs> that was terrible that so, was terrible 4.4 Ooh. okay i mean it it uh uh hill house is higher to me because it, the scares are better and i like the 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 story a little bit better about how the house is the evil and all that but it, uh, with viola and the way that they wrapped it up it, it really brought the show up for me to where i mean and it, it's it's clearly one of the best versions of turn of the screw just even if it uh, puts more elements in there <laughs> Pardon me as I'm losing my breath here. Um, for me, it's actually going to be a 4.5. So it's so funny because it was so – I wasn't expecting it to be good. Uh, I did – I had a very hard time with the first three episodes, two episodes. Um, I was losing interest real fast. So that's why yeah. it's only a 4.5 for me because it was a slow burn, and I do not do well with slow burns. However, I made it through it. I'm glad I did. Um, and that's – I think 4.5 is fair. Yeah, I, and and I'm the same way. The first three episodes, really, I mean, you ha even the second viewing, I mean, you can appreciate things about them more, but they're they're still hard to get through before you start getting to the good stuff of the show. Yeah. So. All right, and with that, peace be with you and with your spirit.